The title of the message today comes from uh, verse 24, for your joy, for your joy. Uh, The poet Robert Frost, the American poet, wrote these words to capture a moment in time as a traveler is going through the forest and he stops to watch the snowfall. And this is what he wrote. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near, between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. Promises are easy to break, and they're hard to keep. I think sometimes you probably feel like this traveler that Robert Frost had in mind. Sometimes you just want to linger in the forest and watch the snowfall. But there's miles to go, and there's promises to keep. And so we journey on. The Apostle Paul in this text is being accused of breaking his promise to come and visit the Corinthian church. He's accused of not being able to make up his mind. He's called a vacillator, unreliable, hypocrite. Who is Paul to think he can double-cross us? Just because he's an apostle doesn't mean he can do and say whatever he wants at our expense. He must think he's too high and mighty to have to keep his word to us lowly Corinthians. But Paul does explain himself. And in this passage, he gives his motivation for why he made the decision to wait, to visit. Interestingly enough, Paul claims it was in the Corinthians' best interest as well. Let's pick up the text here in verse 23. But I call God to witness against me It was to spare you that I refrained from coming to Corinth. The first phrase there basically says, let God destroy me if I am lying to you. It's a strong statement. Let God literally destroy my soul, my life. But God would not have to condemn Paul's actions because he knew what was in Paul's mind. In fact, he had led him to that decision. Paul wanted to spare the Corinthians. His actions in delaying were for their benefit. And the rest of this passage that we're looking at this morning shows that Paul wanted the Corinthians to know joy, not pain. And he details how they and we can sustain such joy. He gives us here, I think, at least six ingredients to produce and sustain Christian joy. Let's see them together in our text this morning. If you're taking notes, here's point number one. We sustain joy by partnership in ministry. Look in verse 24. Again, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you 
for your joy. Not lording over you, but working with you. You know, a pastor or a Christian leader should never act like he's the expert, making the congregation dependent on him and his special knowledge. Paul is saying he didn't use his apostleship to take advantage of the Corinthians or to put them down or to treat them as insignificant in Christian ministry. I like the way that one commentator puts it. Paul here is contrasting domination with cooperation. Domination with cooperation. He's not lording it over the congregation in Corinth. He's working alongside them. He's writing to them at least three or four letters that we know of. He's visiting with them multiple times, sitting with them, listening to them, praying for them and with them. And he's working to advance their maturity in Christ. That phrase, working with you, in verse 24, is where we get our English word synergy, meaning working together. Paul is actually being quite open, quite transparent, quite vulnerable, actually, in this passage. One author writes this about this section. He, Paul, is not self-sufficient, but dependent, and they are too. Moreover, he is open in disclosing his motives and reasons for not coming, which he says have been worked out before God. If disguise or masking is the mark of his opponents, those false apostles, those super apostles that we'll learn more about as we go through the letter, then openness is the mark of Paul. An openness that is made possible by the grace of God in forgiveness. If Paul is transparent, then clearly so too should the Corinthians be transparent. Brothers and sisters, Joy comes when Christians treat each other as equally valuable, as equally necessary in the work of the Lord. And what is this joy? What is joy? How do you define joy? I like um, how uh, it's defined here in the Lexham Bible Dictionary. Joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit It is expected of Christians because it is the natural result of having received salvation. The joy comes on account of what Christ has done, irrelevant of whatever other circumstances are happening in one's life. Friends, joy is a gladness in our hearts based on being forgiven based on being made new in Christ with a hope of eternal life in glory. It's something that we're commanded to do constantly. Do you remember how Paul put it to the Philippian church? Rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians 4.4. And for Paul, it's something that he could even do in the midst of great sorrow or human sadness. In fact, We'll get to that in 2 Corinthians 6.10 where Paul says he's sorrowful yet rejoicing. They're not, they don't cancel each other out. So the first way that Paul says we can produce and sustain joy 
and he wants the Corinthians to know, and he wants us to know, is by partnership and ministry. We are equally valuable and significant to each other in the work that the Lord has for us. No one is going to lord anything over anyone here at Heather Hills. We work with each other. We're in the same business together. Here's a second principle or second ingredient. Verse 24, it's the end of the verse. For by standing firm in faith, by standing firm in faith, Paul says for you or because you stand firm in your faith. Uh, anyone ever got bad news before? Yeah, how many of you got bad news like today? How many of you got bad news last night? We get bad news all the time, don't we? Just turn on the news. If you haven't seen bad news for a while, just turn it on. But we trust our Heavenly Father. He is in charge of my life. He's in charge of your life. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for you and for me. Your own family may have deserted you. Some of you know that kind of experience. But God will always stand by you. Never leave you. Never forsake you. Psalm 46, 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The only joyful Christians are the ones who stand firm. And we know one fact about every single one of those who stands firm, because Paul tells us in this text, that person is trusting in God. In your faith, you stand firm. Standing firm in faith will bring joy. Thirdly, by thinking and acting. Look over in verse 1 of chapter 2. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. Paul says, I made up my mind. <laughs> it's the only place in the whole Bible where those words are found. I made up my mind. They're a great example of the Bible's teaching on human responsibility. The Christian uses his mind. Paul thought deeply about situations, and so do you. Should I visit the church in Corinth, or should I delay? Should I write them a letter or not? What should I write to them? They might misunderstand that, so I'll put it, I'll put it like this in the letter. Paul thought and planned and made up his mind how he would act toward them. You know, sometimes, now, I'll stand up here and I'll tell you every Sunday, I believe in the sovereignty of God. Believe in it with all my heart. Sometimes we get hung up on the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. The reality is, God determines, Paul decides, and neither cancels out the other. God will never reduce you to being a puppet. You have to make up your own mind. You can't just sit back and say, well, God's in charge of everything, so I guess he's just going to get done what he wants to get done, and I don't have to do anything. Nonsense. You have to make up your mind. You have to think. You have to act. God guides you in all of your decision-making 
He guides you in your processes of thinking. And, and as you make up your mind and act on things in your life, this is where your joy will be found. Do you remember over in Romans chapter 14, Paul told the weak Christians at Rome they had to be fully persuaded in their minds. They were, they were a group in the congregation there who were keeping certain days, like the Sabbath. And they weren't eating certain foods, like bacon. Don't know why. The apostle did not tell them to stop doing that. And he didn't tell the leaders, on the other hand, to enforce a certain perspective or opinion on the congregation. This is what Paul told him. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. That is the way Paul is teaching us of Christian joy. Recognizing my own freedom in Christ in matters of opinion and recognizing the freedom of others. Here's what he said to the church of Galatia. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, we just sit around lazy, apathetic, and we don't get anything done. Paul says, make up your mind. Get busy doing something. Think. Let the Bible saturate your decision-making process. Pray to the Lord, knowing He's going to guide and direct your steps as you acknowledge Him, as you put Him first. But make up your mind and do it. Take action. There's a fourth area here, I think, that promotes and sustains joy, and that's mutual encouragement. Look in verses 2 and 3. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. Our job as pastors at Heather Hills and the job of every pastor at every church, in part, is hopefully to cause all of our brothers and sisters in this congregation to rejoice. But it works both ways. A congregation should cause a pastor to rejoice. Here's Paul's definition of a good church. Verse 3, those who should have made me rejoice. So often it wasn't like that for Paul, was it? He carried around the burdens, the cares of all his churches. Many of you know that October is often called Pastor Appreciation Month. And over the years, um, I have been encouraged by so many of you, uh, especially in the month of October. In fact, I keep all the cards and the notes that you have given me over the years, and they uh, they filled up two giant file folders now. And every once in a while, I go back and read them again because they still encourage me. They keep me rejoicing. And when I am filled with joy, do you know the first people I often tell? My brothers and sisters right here in this room. Why? Because I want you to share in my joy just like you want me to share in your joy. Just as Paul did the Corinthians. 
This is what he had taught them. Remember back in 1 Corinthians 12, 26? If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Paul was certain. He says he was sure the Corinthians would rejoice with him. And that is one of the reasons he decided not to visit them. He wanted to bring them joy instead of pain. Here's the fifth reason. We can sustain and produce joy by the word of God itself. Look at the beginning of verse 3 and verse 4. Just a simple point here. Paul says, I wrote as I did. In verse 4, I wrote to you. Now this is just a, this is a little bit of an extrapolation. Bear with me here. I think there's a point that can be made. No one will know true and lasting joy who is a stranger to the writings of Paul and, by extension, the scriptures themselves. One evening in May 19, or 1738, a young man named John Wesley went to a religious meeting in Aldersgate Street in London. Someone was reading Martin Luther's preface to Paul's letter to the Romans, and that night, John wrote in his diary describing what happened as he listened. He said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, even mine, and, or I'm sorry, in Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And then I testified to all there what I now first felt in my heart. And then John went to his brother Charles Wesley and he declared, I believe. And Charles wrote in his journal that night, we sang a hymn with great joy. When you read and understand the word of God, brothers and sisters, you discover joy in its pages. C.S. Lewis was riding upstairs in a double-decker bus when he first had the truths of the gospel impressed on his heart. Do you know the title of his autobiography? Surprised by joy. Joy. The scriptures bring joy. The word of God brings joy. Sixthly, we can produce and sustain joy in our lives by Christian love. Look at verse 4. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Why do we cry at funerals? Because of our love for those who have died. That's why Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus. Why did Paul often pause when he was writing a letter and dry his face from the tears? Isn't that what he's doing here? Because he loved them despite their problems. And let's face it, there was heavy sin in this congregation, wasn't there? A man had taken his father's wife for his own. And the church 
people had initially turned a blind eye to it. Even among the pagans at Corinth, Paul said, there was a sense of shock at this behavior. And their apathy to their own sin hurt Paul deeply because he loved them. And he showed his love by writing to them a painful letter. You know the expression, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. In a sense, that's exactly what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. When I wrote that last letter to you, it was a painful letter. It hurt me. And I know it hurts you because of my love for you. The last part of verse 4 there is literally this. My aim is not to cause you pain, but to ne- let you know the love, the very intense love I have for you. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back to the front for our final song. But as they're coming, I want to take some time to think about some application of this very simple text, this, this conclusion to this section on the traveling for now of Paul and why he came when he did and why he wrote the letter when he did and didn't. But just think about a few thoughts of application with me. First, do you truly view your brothers and sisters sitting around you this morning as necessary and equal partners in the work of the ministry? Just take a look around. Look to your left, look to your right, look behind you. Notice who's there. Do you see them? Do you view them as equal and necessary partners in the work of the ministry in this local church? Does your life bear out that truth? Are you backing up? If you say, yes, I do, I view everybody that way, does your life back that up? Are there actions that show that? If not, what needs to change? How can you be a better partner and how can I be a better partner to our fellow co-workers in the gospel? I think we need to ask ourselves that question. Second, are you standing firm in the faith? How do you know? Are you easily shaken by what happens around you from day to day? Is your faith rattled because of marriage struggles, family tension, financial pressure, work stress, sleepless nights, host of other temptations? What are you doing to put down deeper roots in your trust in God? What needs to be weeded out of your heart and mind in order to allow you to grow stronger and deeper? Because when you are firm in your faith and in your trust in the Lord, you will know joy and you will sustain it. Third, Are you thoughtfully considering the actions that you take in your life? Especially as to how they affect other believers around you. Have you given up 
on the practice of spiritual disciplines with other Christians, like reading the Bible together, praying together, serving together? If so, why? What does that say about how you are or are not guarding your mind and your thoughts that fuel your actions? What do you need to think about more regularly? And what do you need to act on more carefully and decisively? Fourth, what are you doing to encourage joy in your brothers and sisters? Are you full of joy, but keeping it to yourself? Are you joyless and need others to pour into you? What does your joy production and joy distribution say about your spiritual growth? What is one action you can take today? Yes, before going out to the parking lot before going on to an ABF class even, what is one action you can take today to share your joy with someone else? Anybody here, just show of hands, anybody here would like someone to share some joy with them today? Raise your hand. Look around. Now go share some joy with one of them. Encourage them with the joy that you have in Christ from his word, in the gospel. Five, are you finding a daily fountain of joy in the word of God? Or are you dried up from lack of studying the Bible? Friends, what is keeping you from the scriptures? How can you fix this problem? Who will you approach today to read the Bible with you on a regular basis? What verses will you start to memorize? Does your Bible intake affect your joy output? The answer is yes. And six, how is the intensity of your love toward your brothers and sisters around you? Are you more interested in giving them pain or joy? <laughs> Don't say pain. <laughs> When is the last time, and, and by the way, when I'm saying you, I'm saying I too, okay? When is the last time you wept for a Christian brother or sister who's in sin? Husbands, are you loving your wives as Christ loved the church sacrificially? Are you? 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later, 40 years later. I think we've got a couple couples that have got over 60-year anniversaries this week. Wow. Think of the love in those relationships that's been nurtured all that time. How will you do better, brothers? What will motivate you to do better? Younger people who are here this morning, what do you love the most right now? If someone said, what do you love the most? 
right now, what is it? What do you love the most? Is it a person? Is it a hobby or a sport? Is it a TV program? Streaming series? How can you show more faithfully in your life that you love Jesus and love your neighbor the most? First commandment, second commandment. Think about that. I want to bring you back to the gospel here as we close this morning. What Paul says in this passage is very similar to something Jesus told his disciples over in the gospel of Mark chapter 10. Let me read it for you. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was the ultimate example of sacrificial servant leadership, of truly loving his brothers and sisters with that intense agape, sacrificial love. In John 15, verse 11, on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus tells the disciples, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What Paul's telling the Corinthians is the same thing Jesus told his disciples, and it's the same thing that I want to tell you this morning. And according to Hebrews 12 and verse 2, Jesus even went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. Think about that. If you do not know the joy of the Lord because you've never put your full trust in the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross and his eternal life and his resurrection, if you've never received forgiveness of sins and been made a son or daughter of God, if you've never been born again, we would like nothing more than today for our joy to become your joy. We have something that you desperately need. A loving Christian family that supplies a community of support and accountability and encouragement. Friend, if you feel lost and without hope in this world, come home today. And we would love to talk to you if you're interested in following Jesus Christ with your life. Just come over to our prayer room in this corner of the, of the, of the auditorium right after the service concludes. And a counselor will open the Bible and pray with you and help you get started in becoming a follower of Jesus. We'd love nothing more. Let's stand together, brothers and sisters. Let's sing about this great joy that we possess because of Jesus' great love for us and our decision, our making up our mind to trust 
to lean fully on Jesus and know the sweet fellowship, to know the joy divine in His strong, everlasting arms. This phrase is taken from Deuteronomy 33, and it reads like this, There is none like God who rides through the heavens to your help. Through the skies in His majesty, the eternal God is your dwelling place. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Let's sing to the Lord.